will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. All right, welcome to Life After Addiction. Thank you so much, guys. This is episode 14. Bruce, today, man, we have an in-studio or in-office studio guest today, uh, and we're going to be talking about some interesting things. I say that every episode, but we're going to be talking about something that might make some people cringe a little bit. We're going to be talking about pornography. Hey, everything we say makes people cringe. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really excited about this because uh, I met this man at a men's conference and um, was just really inspired by the things he was saying. Uh, the thing that I was at with the men's conference was they had these breakout rooms, and, and the one that I went into was about pornography. I'm really going in there uh, to help understand like how I can help men who are dealing with this thing and the truth that God says. And, and so this man really inspired me. His name is Scott Hort. He's the pastor of Christ Life Community in Smyrna, Tennessee. And uh, anyway, we're just going to let him kind of talk about uh, pornography and some other things that I know we struggle with. And so this is, again, life after addiction. And it, when addiction ends, uh, what else is left behind? And so these things that God wants to grow us out of, peel back the layers to continue to um, sanctify us, purify us from these things. And so one of the biggest things I think men deal with is is pornography. Yeah, yeah. So Pastor Scott, tell me, man, the statistics that we see, we, we deal with chemical uh, addiction a lot, but we also work with some guys with pornography addiction. From what I've heard, the current stats pornography might be the one of the biggest enemies of our church, one of the biggest, man, attacks of our church because so many people struggle with it, even the people working for the church. Right. There's uh, uh, The statistics are sh- showing us that there's no difference between Christians looking at pornography mm-hmm. and, and the people of the world. Uh, I saw a statistic the other day. It says that 80 there's 80 million hits of pornography a day looking at one page. Uh, that stat said also that the uh, the biggest spike in a time frame is at 3 p.m. Between mm. 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Well, people really? at work. Well, people are at work, but when do kids get out of school? Huh. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it, it, it's killing our society, and uh, it, it's crushing us, and— uh, it's it's darkness. The Bible talks about light and darkness, and this is the fruit of darkness. Uh, it's not just an image. It's not just a website, but it is something that is robbing you of your potential and intimacy with one another, but ultimately God. Mm. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and that, like I said, you know, spring to life, S two L recovery. Guys come to us, and, and something that's different. Um, we don't identify ourselves as addicts. We don't ask our students to identify themselves as addicts. Is there hope for someone? Let's say someone's listening to this. They came to us. They never told us anything about the pornography issue that they were dealing with, and they're at home right now. They know they're listening, and they know, man, this is causing devastation on the inside, and it's starting to affect things on the outside. Do they have the same hope? Do you say, do you know, and the the people you've worked with and things like that, is there freedom from this addiction or is it something they're going to have to deal with and they're going to be just haunted by the rest of their lives? You know what? The fight is for the rest of your life. It really is. But we know as Christians that there is freedom and it's found in Jesus Christ. When I met Bruce, I asked a question to a group of men. I think there was 12 pastors in the room and I asked the question, I said, uh, is your heart wicked and deceitful or do you have a good heart? Mm. And I think every pastor in the room raised their hand and said that our hearts are wicked and deceitful. And uh, I don't believe that. I, I think actually if you don't have Jesus, uh, it's called a Jeremiah seventeen nine heart. It is wicked and deceitful. But when you come to know the living Jesus, uh, he does something. He brings a transformation in your life. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says, "The uh, behold, uh, the new has come, and the old has gone away." 
and uh, and and he's giving you something new, and that newness is a heart, a heart, um, and he tells you to protect it. Once you get that heart, Proverbs four says it becomes the wellspring of life, right. and and so from that comes uh, everything good that you are, and you are to protect it. Why? Because there's an enemy that is warring uh, against you constantly, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so, yeah, the battle's on, but now you have leverage. You have authority because Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. We know that uh, by Matthew. Uh, the end of Matthew tells us that. He didn't say some authority, but he says all authority. And he says the same spirit that brought Jesus from the grave now resides in us. He tells that in two places, Ephesians 2, um, Romans 8. He tells us that the same spirit that brought him out of the grave resides in us. But now in Romans 8, he also tells us that we have a choice. Mm. And he gives us free will. And that's beautiful. Free will is beautiful because we're not robots now. We have a choice that we make every day. And it's a choice to prove our love to him or not to prove our love to him. Um, And so, yeah, I wake up every day and... I am redeemed. I have a heart uh, that is a wellspring of life. Uh, my soul has been redeemed, uh, but there are still fleshly tendencies within me, and I have a choice to make. I can either choose to walk in the flesh or I can choose to walk in the spirit. The scriptures say to set your mind uh, on the flesh is death. To set your mind in the spirit is life and peace and And I have to make that decision every day. And Jesus says, hey, if you love me, then obey my commandments. That's right. And and so life after addiction, uh, in case you didn't know, Pastor Scott, we are are not going to run away from hard topics. uh, And we're only going to speak about all of these issues. Sometimes we're not going to talk about addiction. Maybe it's just the stuff going on today. But we're always going to approach it from a biblical worldview. And... I want to kind of break this down for a second because I've heard it put this way, uh, just the realization of what's going on. And, and, and then I want to ask you, um, from the Bible, some practical things that someone's struggling with this and they just realize they are that they can do. So here's, here's kind of the reality. And, man, we have an adversary. And he, first off, Bruce, myself, we, we were master manipulators at one point in our life. Me you know, too. And we also minister to men that come in that are master manipulators. I, I will say this, the, the adversary that hates us because we're image bearers of God, the devil, makes all of us look like junior varsity manipulators. Right. And here's what I mean. Uh, very clear, God calls us to certain things. He, he says adultery is wrong, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments, and we shouldn't do that. And man, somehow woven into this culture today is just a, a I want to say, trillion-dollar industry uh, that could be off, but a trillion-dollar industry, which is called pornography. You can't even drive down the road or watch TV without someone selling a hamburger today with a loosely dressed woman. And, and what's my point? Well, my point is that Jesus says that if, if you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. And so he sees these things, and, and the enemy just provides us lust. And so it's everywhere, and it's rampant, and sex sells, and... It's, it's almost normalized in our culture and celebrated in our culture. Um, but man, someone who God's taken that heart of stone and given a, a heart of flesh and they have a new and they're defending the good. So they feel the conviction. They feel the wickedness of just, man, I, I just want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. But it's very similar to an opiate release in the brain. Right. The things that you feel and all this stuff. So it can be addicting and it's really control too. There's a lot of control things that go on. Man, help the listener. Help help us understand. Give us some biblical, practical things uh, that you would you would suggest. Just hey, man or woman of God, you're struggling with this. Man, pray for you. But here here's some things that you could do uh, today, right now, yeah. that you could start to do. Uh, what what would you suggest? I think it starts with identity. Yeah, I think it comes first, just proclaiming. Uh, who you are in Jesus. And, um, man, we're all sinners. And I, I still mess up today and uh, fail God in, in so many ways. But I've gotten a lot better. 
in this journey of let not letting my sin define who I am. I don't, you know, I struggled with pornography. I've I've binged on it for hours and hours and gone through thousands of websites. But I don't wake up today and and say, "Hey, I'm Scott Hoard, a pornographer." Right. <laughs> I, I, I don't do that right. because that's not who I am. I'm, I'm yeah, a new the same creation. way that we we encourage guys not to call themselves addicts. Um, yeah, if you the way you're going to behave in life, the way you're going to make decisions in life is based off of the identity that you carry. And if I'm if it doesn't matter how many days I have clean, if I'm still calling myself an addict, then the potential for me to do what an addict does is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something I was thinking about this week is I had a addict come up to me and he's going through a, a program right now. He says, Hey man, I'm 60 days clean. And uh, I thought, well, that's cool. But why are you counting? <laughs> why are you counting? Cause what happens when you mess up? And if it's not even whatever you have addicted to, did that, you know, did 60 days just wash away? Well, I think it's ingrained in us. You know, the, the typical recovery model is that's what it's about. Your value is your time. Your value is your and time. And the traditional. Fact, I mean, in these circles, it's like, well, how many days do you have clean? Well, I've got one year. Well, I've got 60 days. Or I've got, And so immediately you're comparing yourself to other people. Uh, and then and it's not like I won't say, hey, I'm celebrating five years being clean and sober. And, and that's an accomplishment. That's a celebration but it's not like every day I'm, I'm thinking man, I'm thinking about that number or anything. In fact, in the truth of God says, like you just mentioned, you know, that we're created new every day. Every minute we're a new creation. It's, it's God saying you're being renewed over and over. It's this, this process of sanctification. Yeah, it's your journey. And that, uh, man, I don't have to count days. And I can just see that every day is an adventure of God doing something else in my life. Uh, and I can have confidence in knowing that even though I've had two days clean, right, versus five years clean, that I live with the same hope as anybody else does. Right. Yeah. And, and my righteousness, it, I mean, there's nothing right in me. Uh, it, it's all dependent upon Jesus. And Jesus takes my stuff. He takes my my sin and, and he deals with it. And uh, it's his righteousness upon me. Uh, that defines me. And so even though I might fail, even if I failed yesterday, man, I can get up quick today based off my identity in him and not based off my sin and my failure of yesterday. You know, Adam, you you asked me, you know, what's the real practical example? I think us as men, we're always making uh, to-do list and, and, and am I doing this? Am I doing this right? You know, is this wrong in my life? But I think at the end of Matthew 5, because you, you quoted uh, Matthew 5 that talks about adultery. And uh, he says, you know, if you're even looking at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. But what he eventually leads to, he also talks about anger and he talks about oaths and he talks about loving people. And then he gets to a point and he says, man, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it's the last line. It's the last line of Matthew 5. And he says, unless you're perfect as the Father is in heaven, you can't enter in. Be perfect. Your Father in heaven is perfect. And so hear that. Because right when I read that, as I went through Matthew 5 and the beautiful Beatitudes and then started going through these things and looking at, you know, I've got to surpass the Pharisees, and then all of a sudden, I've got to be the Father. My first words out of my mouth when I read that was, I can't. I can't. And God just spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, you're right. And that is the ultimate answer, is you can't, I can. And in your failure of not being able to turn to the one who has succeeded, who has overcome and he will guide you through these things so that you can. And so it's not about a to-do list. It's right. not a, the Ten Commandments were never meant to be a to-do list of do's and don'ts. It was there to reflect the heart of God. That's why they were there. And, that, and that's what the Beatitudes do. And that's what all this is doing is, is, you know, Matthew wants you to see the heart of God 
And so for me, it's freeing. And then he breaks all that down in Matthew 5. He says, let me just break all the law down for you very simply. Love God and then love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so the practical thing that I wake up every day is I don't wake up with a, a list of what I can do and what I don't do. It's really simple. Is my mind set upon God? Am I ready to walk with God? And have I taken time to love him, but to also feel his love and hear his love for me? And that, that's what it means to set your mind in the spirit and then to walk that out and then to go yeah, love abs- people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just for our listeners, uh, you know, everything you're saying is true and how we see ourselves. And, but let's talk about I might be freed from all that today, but the consequences of what it was that I did are still affecting me. And so that's with just about everything that we choose to do in life. God may redeem us from it, but there's still going to be the residual effects of what it was that we yeah. chose to do. And so here I am. I, I also um, was deep into pornography and, and my addiction uh, lifestyle. And so, uh, man, I, I gave that up uh, four years ago. And so I had actually, I've been clean five years. So after my last drug use, uh, I was still dealing with pornography. I was highly convicted, uh, and it wasn't at the extreme level that it had been in my addiction, but I was still going back to it. Um, and so it took, a, it took a year for me to finally just, you know, God gave me. And so what did I do during that time to get past that? And then what am I doing today when those things, because I have millions of images seared into my brain, and it's getting easier for me to not remember those things because I'm replacing it with a bunch of other new memories <laughs> But man, all it takes is for me to be on an hour commute and all of a sudden I'm thinking about that stuff or I'm remembering something I did or and what am I doing about that when those things are happening? Yeah. And and isn't it funny the simplest thing, you know, can trigger. It can be a girl taking a drink from a straw in a cup or something, and it's like boom. Oh, <laughs> Your man. Mind's I'm, right I'm driving the down the road yesterday <laughs> and there's you know these digital billboards that are now out. Yeah. Uh so it was, was one image, it was one ad, and then all of a sudden the ad switched, you know, and it was just these two giant breasts. It, it filled the entire billboard, barely enough to get any other words in there, and the only words on there says, have a new body. And it was just these giant breasts in a bikini top, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, yeah. It, every, you know, I like saying this, everything's a sermon. Mm-hmm. Everything's a sermon. Everything you see Everything you read, everything you hear, every movie you watch, every show you watch, it's a sermon. And so to wake up and not be intentional and to come to the true authority in Jesus, man, you have set yourself up for failure. It's the only way we overcome it. I mean, when you hear Stormy Daniels' name in the news every day now, I mean, how many men are going, all right, Stormy Daniels, who's that? Let's Google Stormy Daniels and go down that route. How many men have mm. done that? You can go on Fox News, CNN News, and you can just be legitimately looking at, you know, legitimate news stories. But then all of a sudden, there's a sexual ad in every one of them. Yeah. And it's just that simple trigger. And if you're not ready, if you're not in the battle, and if you're not walking in the spirit, you will gratify gratify the flesh. Mm. And, and, and the Bible's clear in Romans 8. It says... You gratify the flesh, it leads to death. And, and it's not just a death um, in the end that's separated from God, but, man, it's the death moments that you face today. You know, if I satisfy my flesh and I look at porn today, even if I don't look at porn, if I just look at the porn in my mind that you were talking about and relive that, it robs me of the intimacy, first and foremost, with God but it makes me incapable to give my wife what she deserves, the love she deserves, my son, Jordan, my daughter, Gracie. It robs that intimacy, and you never get this moment back. You put enough days like that together, man, and it will steal everything from you, yeah. and you'll live in this life mm, absolutely. Uh, of regret. Absolutely, and I think the, we're about running out of time, and but just the expectations that we place upon um life and other people and relationships based off the pornography we see. It's just 
pornography is unrealistic. Yeah. And it just, that's its whole point is a fantasy. And when we start expecting that fantasy from others and we don't get it, then we're dissatisfied. And all of a sudden I'm getting divorced or I'm seeking it somewhere else or yeah. I'm looking at porn, you know, and, and that's just the depravity there. Yeah. Yeah, so the time frame, uh, I allowed us some more time. We got three pastors in a room. There's no way we're gonna, <laughs> there's no way we're going to get out of here in 20 minutes. Let's be real. Uh, so, so that's good, man. That, golly, that. So, so I'm just thinking. Here's what. Here's what I tell guys who are open, and and that's that's what I think one is. Drag what's in the dark into the light, right? Don't yeah. confess to someone you trust that God's put in your life. Bring it to the light. And, and when guys do that and they confess to me and they just want, man, um, I instruct them this. I, I say about the thoughts, I say, you can't, you can't control that first thought that comes in. Now, the things that you're allowing into your life probably has an effect on some of that, what comes in. But sometimes it's from the past and you're no longer doing that. I say you can't control that first thought. What you do with it, though, from there is. And... You know, there's different different things in the Bible that, you know, taking thoughts captive. And I think right. sometimes that's used in a way that maybe the context doesn't allow. But but it's definitely it's definitely there's things that we could put our minds on God, renewing of the mind, um, beholding uh, the glory. Right. You know, there's things that you could do when that comes in. You could rebuke that when it comes in. I rebuke things a lot in my head. You know, if, if what's going on in my head was going on on the outside, people think I'm crazy. Yeah. But there's things that come in that I'll rebuke in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but there's an actual intentionality of doing that and not just going down this list like a robot and thinking that, you know, that using God's word as a sword in my, when that comes, I'm rebuking the name of Jesus. God, you say this, just like Jesus did when temptation came. And so, man, th- there's things that, the, the Christian life, man, the mighty men of valor that we're called to be, uh, this is a spiritual war. It's not a physical one, right? And there's things that we can do. There's things that we need to do that aren't easy and, and sometimes seem um, exhausting or, or for me, even just like, man, this is just so, so petty or why do I need to do this? But I need to do it because if I don't, 10, 15 minutes later, I'm still thinking about that. And then that's on me, man. If I allow that in and I, and that goes a place, that's on me. And uh, that's kind of what I instruct guys and, and how I try to help. And so I, I know guys, some of my closest friends um, struggled this for years. And a lot of times, just like chemical addiction, there's some major trauma early on in life that has led to this need for control and has led to a, just an outrageous pornography addiction. And man, one of, the, one of my closest friends, what he's done is, man, he has scripture everywhere you know in his bathroom and he's just putting that to heart and he has a list of scripture to kind of deal with lust and and that's helped him that's helped him because god approaches the issue right and and that's what you know i instruct guys and and i was going to see if if you if do you tell guys certain things certain things like that and if so i think you you hit on so much um i mean just thinking about scripture in itself you got to ask yourself a couple questions one do you love God? And it all comes, it all starts right there. Yeah. If you don't love God, if you don't know God, you're not going to make it. And because you're going to operate white knuckled through this thing and you can't make it. And so one of the biggest challenges I see is I see guys working through a systematic program of trying to do certain things, but there's no true love of God in their heart. And so, you know, when I find a guy that's like that, there's nothing I can do except pray that God would lift the veil from their heart. And and I ask them too, that that God would give them a new heart and um and change their heart and give them a love for him because from that love will come a thirst and a hunger for righteousness. And when the thirst and the hunger is there, uh, then all of a sudden, I mean, it's Bruce's story. I've heard his story several times. All of a sudden you fall in love with the scripture. And, uh, and that's what God did for you, man. He gave you that new heart. And then all of a sudden you couldn't stop devouring the scripture. And, and what is the scripture? It, it's 
God's breath, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it's, it's the inspiration of God, but the Greek word for that is theanoustos. Theos meaning God, noustos meaning a powerful protrusion of God's breath. And so it's like me taking a balloon. When I take a balloon and I blow into it, my breath goes in there. If I was to take it and pop it over your head, Bruce, all of a sudden, my breath, which would uh, had saliva and stuff mixed in it, nice. my DNA <laughs> would be upon you. There would be me. I would. My essence would be on you in the same way. It's the same picture that when you're reading God's word, His living, active word that discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. His breath is breathing on you, and all of a sudden, it can't help but change you when you understand what that is. And 2 Timothy 3.16 plays it out beautiful. It says it's there to rebuke, to correct, but to train you into being the man of God to do the works that God has called you to do. And so it has to involve God's word, but it has to also include the right heart with that word to discern the word. And when you begin the mixing those two together, Yes, what emerges is a thirst and a hunger, but also what emerges is prayer and, and, and communion. Uh, and, and it's in that communion um, that we satisfy the Spirit and we don't walk in the flesh anymore. Yeah, let me, let me, let me just say something about that because you touched upon something. You know, yeah, it, it starts with the heart. But let me, in my situation, my, my testimony, I, I've just... And, you know, kind of uh, opened up and said that it took a year for me after God changed my life. So why was I still doing that? And I was convicted. I loved God with all my heart. And I was like a sponge trying to read God's Word every day. I couldn't get enough of it, but yet I was still doing this thing. And so perfection is not what any of us can achieve. But I knew this thing had to be rooted out of me. But why did it take a year? And... What happened was my conviction, like you're saying, was just desperate. And I was doing things. It was getting better, but I was still doing it. And, man, the times that I was doing it, man, it would just kill me. It would kill me, the the guilt and the shame that I would have about it. But I started realizing the thing that you were talking about is that the Spirit, like what is the Spirit leading me to do in this communion that you're talking about? It's this communion with God being one flesh with God, this, this desperation turns into, um, you know, you know, there's this place in the Bible, I believe it's in Matthew, where Jesus, you know, he's talking to the crowds of people, and he says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And like three quarters of the people just left, so this man's crazy, right? But they didn't get what he was saying. And what he was saying is, you must consume me in everything you do. And so there has to be a tangible aspect to what it is that I'm doing in that moment that I end up consuming Jesus so that that thing that I wanted to do in the flesh then goes away. And then there's times where I, it, at that time it was, well, I want to go look at porn. Well, no, I'm going to read some scripture. Or I'd turn on the music in the car or I start breaking out into song or I, like you said, fellowship with but believers, I call somebody and say, hey, man, I just mind have a conversation with you because there's this thing I want to go do and I don't want to really do it. So I know if I'm talking to you, I want to do it. You know, it's just that type of tangible action where we're consuming God in these many different ways, uh, which is how eventually I learned a different lifestyle than the one I was living. And I stopped doing those things. And over a period of time, I never wanted to do it again. And I had learned practical tools that kept me from doing it still today. I'll be in a car. I don't have a radio in my car. So I have an hour and 15-minute commute every day to work and back from work. And, man, like I said, those things creep into my mind. And I'll just break out into song. I'll just sing to myself. I'll make stuff up. You know, or I'll, I'll call Adam or say, hey, Adam, man, I'm, like, just driving. I want to hear one of those songs. <laughs> and no, you don't. Trust me. <laughs> but it's, there has to be a tangible aspect to what, you know, it is that we're saying. Because, you know, yeah, you can love God with all your heart. But you're still human, and these things yeah. happen. What can I do practically to... to Because you know, eventually it changes you. Like you said, God does something DNA-wise. It just changes you. But yeah. during that change, there's something God's calling us to in our responsibility and our dedication, our commitment to Him. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I think a a good practical thing just straight off is uh, initially count the cost. And, man, that's that's a big thing for me every day is I know there's a cost. There's a cost if I live for God, and there's a cost if I live against him. And if I live in the flesh, there's a true cost. And you got to really answer what that is. That you something will die today, if you look at pornography, something will die. And uh, I've been married for twenty three years, man. I love my wife, but I, you know she still has yet to see how great I could be because I'm in this journey of sanctification. Yeah, God has made me holy because of His righteousness, but yeah, it's still a journey. And every day I'm still walking this out. He's making me a little bit better each day, and so. Um, if I look at pornography, if I looked at it this morning, there's something that happens there that robs me in my relationship that I have with my wife. And you know what? That, that stinks. And maybe, maybe my wife doesn't know that I looked at pornography, but there's going to be something in her spirit that checks her spirit. It's like, hey, what's, what's up with you today? You know, what's wrong? And I'm, oh, nothing. Now, you know, just bad day at work or whatever. People are crazy, you know. Um, but that's not it. She knows that there's something there that's robbing the intimacy that I was supposed to have because my body's not my own and her, her body isn't. And we're one flesh now. And we're supposed to represent the picture of the church and Jesus. And so, man, that, that's terrible. But not only of my marriage, but my kids, my, my son who's 15, my daughter who's 13, all of a sudden I'm incapable of giving them what they deserve today doesn't mean that God can't redeem it, that he can't bring me back. But for today, in this moment, something is stolen. And I've learned every day, man, the older I get is so precious. And, uh, and so Satan's a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's darkness. And you know what? I've given too many days to him. And, uh, and he's stolen too many precious moments that uh, I should have had, you know, with my wife and my kids and friends and church and uh, and, you know, I'm just, I'm sick of that. And so just that idea of the cost drives me to the other side. That's good, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I, I want to touch upon something you said. And you said, man, we had more time, so I'm running with it. Because <laughs> I want to get to this one thing with you, Scott. And, yeah. And when you said something dies, like when I look at porn, something dies. And you're absolutely correct in that. Man, the traffic that gets recorded onto these websites drives the people who want to put ads on those websites, and the money that circulates leads all the way back to, man, uh, sex trafficking, you know, the pornography industry, how these people are making money, the whole industry itself. I mean, it's being fed, and something's dying because of that. And and uh, what I mean by that is, man, this leads all the way back to things like abortion. And our expectations of life and how we've just become conditioned to things. And uh, I know you, you have a big ministry in abortion. Um, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, all this is bigger. It's bigger than pornography. It's, 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 it's bigger. There's something bigger than abortion. It's, it's a Jesus issue. It's a light and it's a darkness issue, and uh, uh, you guys are, are struggling. Y- y'all, y'all tend and fight with guys who are struggling with addiction. Man, it's it. They're all connected. It's all connected, and and there's an enemy out there, and he he wants to kill people through opiates and and cocaine and alcohol and and whatever, and he wants to kill people through pornography, uh, and people die through it. I mean, there's. Uh, the suicidal links to it, man, the depression, the oppression that comes from it. But then uh, abortion is right there as well. And mm. So, yeah, I've been, uh, for two and a half years now, been going uh, to the abortion mill in Nashville. And, uh, man, going in humility, and I, I need people to hear that. I go in humility. I go in love. I, I look at the plank in my eye every day I go down there. And... Uh, and, and look hard at it before I look at the speck in somebody else's eye. Uh, I know that uh, if I go, potentially a baby will live. If I don't go, uh, a baby will die. And uh, because I've gone for two and a half years, 
I know for sure 148 babies live. Wow. Held. Uh, that is incredible. Probably 20 or more in my hands. Held one uh, that was born uh, two weeks ago. Um, and when you hold the baby and you realize that the only reason this baby's here is because I did what Ephesians 5.11 says, uh, have nothing to do with the unfruitful work of darkness, but expose it. And it, it's all connected to the Beatitudes. Be salt, be light. And so I took the light that Jesus has given me, and I've taken it into a very dark place. And the Beatitude says, it doesn't say just have peace. It says be a peacemaker. And so that Beatitude means that you're going to go into chaos with what you have, the authority of Jesus. You're going to expose darkness, and you're going to bring peace and uh, for two and a half years, I've been doing that. And uh, in one conversation at a time, uh, we're talking women out, uh, from killing their children. And then uh, we walk with them. And uh, our commitment is to walk with them. We've bought cars. We've bought three cars, I think, so far. Uh, we've recarpeted uh, a home. Uh, we've put a ton of food on people's tables. I used to hate baby showers. Mm-hmm. I throw more baby showers than any human being in this world, and I love them. That's incredible. And I'm usually the only dude there, too. But, man, I love them. As a matter of fact, i got probably four baby showers coming up in the next few months from babies that I've rescued. And, uh, and when you see the mom and the joy that she has where she was going in to sacrifice her child, but then all of a sudden she's extremely happy and she's grateful and she's totally in love with this child and usually also falls in love with God and repents of that. It's it's unbelievable. So I hate abortion. I hate pornography. I hate addiction. God hates those things. Uh, there's a righteous hate. There's a righteous anger that we're supposed to have. And, man, we all have that. Uh, and at the same time, there's a great love that I have for these people as they go through these things. And uh, in the end, love wins. Mm. Yeah, so Pastor Scott, the way that normally we have uh, people that will email in or message in questions, uh, and and what Bruce and I normally do at the end of each podcast is try to answer a listener's question. Uh, And so, man, there's one that came in that I think would be great for you to interact in with us, just because of I know when you are doing your abortion ministry, you have confrontation with people. And so here's the question, and and I'll... I'll, um, I'll just read it, and then whoever wants to jump in, let's jump in. Where is it from? Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Hattiesburg. When we are talking someone struggling, and they're obviously defensive about everything we say and counter our statements with attacks on who we used to be, partic- particularly, oh, say that word, Bruce. Particularly. Thank you. <laughs> Those of us that made some relatively recent mistakes, what is the best approach to take with these people? Now, I would say that this is probably coming from the addiction side, man. I'm redeemed. I'm no longer an addict, and I see someone struggling, but they're not listening to me because they know my past. But we could we could comment on that, but the root of that question, how do you approach someone who is um, just not listening? And they, they how, how do you uh, confront someone? What, what's your, what would you say, Bruce? <laughs> Man, I think this is a good question for Scott because some of the stories he was telling us before this, just the extreme combativeness of some people who mm-hmm. just are absolutely in disagreement with what you and the levels in which they'll take to do that, I think Scott's probably the best one to ask answer this question. Yeah, I'll, You know, um, when I'm at the abortion mill, if somebody's cussing me out or yelling at me, I know I've got an opportunity because I know there's conviction. I know they're not mad at me or angry at me, even though they take it out on me, Mm. I know what's going on. The hard part is when they don't say anything. And so uh, if it's a man, I will challenge him. I have so much time. I have 30 seconds to a minute to get him to notice me. And so in a way, I'll kind of pick a fight in a good way. I'll look at him and say something like, hey, uh, a real man wouldn't kill his baby. Mm. And that usually gets him to look up and say, what'd you say? I said, a real man wouldn't kill his baby. And so a lot of times a man will come over and talk to me, 
not in a very nice way based off that comment, but it opens up the conversation and then it, it allows me to express my heart. And so it's a fine balance of humility, love, and truth. And you have to pray and you have to ask for discernment. There's nothing canned out there. There's no person, no situation that's canned. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit what you are to say in every given moment. And sometimes you have to you have to pinch somebody a little bit uh, to get them to open up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and when they do, then you know you have an opportunity to speak. Yeah. And you take advantage of it and you go in with love and truth. Yeah, so, one of the things that we are trained, Adam and I, as CPRSs in counseling uh, people in addiction is to use open-ended questions, something that they can't just say yes or no to as an answer. And so you're always trying to find a way to prompt some kind of response and that they're either going to be silent or they, they're compelled to answer it in a way that's going to reveal something. Yeah, yeah. It, that's it. And so when you're looking, <laughs> when you're doing those open, I do them too all the time. So I'm trying to fish and understand their worldview. And once I can get enough answers from them, then I know where to meet them. It might not be a time to talk about Jesus. You know, there might be a time where I need to address some other things, but eventually I always land on Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. It might just take a little while to get there. So you're fishing with questions. You're trying to see where they're at. And a lot of it's listening, and they've got to feel your love. If they if they don't yeah, feel your it. love, man, then you're not going to make any headway at all. Yeah, a, a, a catchy thing that I learned from Bruce, and I think he learned it uh, at, during his time in the military, and we deal with this a lot. So the question, we're, we're talking about probably maybe some hostile people, but here's here's what we get, here's what we did. Admit nothing, deny everything, and make immediate counter-accusations, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> that's not what we're doing, that's what the other person... <laughs> that's what they do, right? When you're when you're confronting someone and they're not wanting to see it, that, yeah, so you're going to get attacked personally, you're going you're gonna to get stonewalled, and then they're going to point it back at you. Uh, I would say this, and you touched on it, and, and so I'm not going to go into it, but there's something that I've noticed from, from seeing your some of your posts and things like that in just the 45 minutes we've been together. Um, man, you could say anything to anyone as long as it's coded with love and humility. Uh, I have to have very, we all have to have very hard conversations with people, especially when you're destroying their worldview, how they thought their whole life something was, and they find out it's a lie. Man, you gotta, you got to be able to tell someone the truth in love. And, and if they see your heart and if they see that you're, humble and meek and that you're not doing it out of pride or you're not doing it to prove you wrong. Right. Uh, but it's, man, it's what God's word says. And we love you, which is why we're saying this. We love your child, which is why we're saying this. Uh, I think that goes a long way. Uh, yeah, definitely. And we deal with that a lot in addiction. And Scott, you touched upon it, even standing out at the abortion clinic. And when you lead somebody to that conviction, that that realization of exposing what's in the dark, bringing out the light and to the light, <clears throat> and and they're realizing the truth versus the lie that they thought, you've got to also be there to catch them, because what happens in that moment is they fall, and they're broken, and then they don't know anything to do about that. If you're not prepared to help them through that process, and and all you're going to do is just leave them in that space. Well, they're, they're going to end up going back to what they knew already and not with any new knowledge. And so you've got to be prepared. When you lead somebody to that point, there's much more that happens after that. Oh, man. Yeah, you just opened up a whole other world. I don't know how much time you got. But you just, you're <laughs> basically, you're now talking about discipleship. And discipleship is not a Sunday sermon. Yeah. It's you sitting toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, face-to-face with somebody. Uh, shouldering their burdens, bearing their burdens, uh, taking everything that they're going through and you're entering into it in love and fleshing it out with them and it's dirty and it's hard. Uh, Just, you know, a quick story from uh, Welshwood. I had a guy, his name was Kevin, who used to stand on the hill behind me and talk about how he wanted to burn me alive. Oh, that's pleasant. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, and so I was always watching out for Kevin. And, uh, <laughs> <I bet. laughs> and 
one day he came off the hill and I got him to come down and talk to me face to face and he was being really hateful and I, I, I meant I prayed I said Holy Spirit tell me what to do because he's not willing to reason do I turn and ignore him or do I say something and the Holy Spirit said ask him what he needs and so I got him to be quiet for a second I said Kevin what do you need and he's like what are you talking about I said what do you need he goes I need toothpaste I was like, toothpaste? Okay. Went to Walmart. I got him toothpaste and a few other things, groceries, and I came back completely broken, mm. broken. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit gave me one word. And Kevin then stood on the hill from that point and heard the gospel. He was a dumpster diver. He would go into dumpsters, anything he could pull out and make a cross out of, he would, and he would bring me crosses. Wow. And uh, it was amazing. I had another lady that used to cuss me out from about 150 yards away every day as she got her mail from the mailbox, wear me out. Uh, had her come over. Finally got her to cuss me out face to face. And uh, I listened to her. And the Lord just said, just listen to her until she's finished. And when she gets quiet, ask her if you can talk. And so she finally went quiet. I said, can I talk? And she said, yeah. So I began to ask her just simple questions logical questions about abortion and she agreed with them all and uh, I said can I give you my foundation she said yeah and I gave her Jesus and she started crying and she goes is it possible to meet God in the middle of the street I said you've met God in the middle of the street Uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and that lady gave her life Mm. right there in the middle of Welshwood she was baptized in her church she was pregnant and was going to abort her baby, so I, there was more to the story I didn't realize. But that mm-hmm. child is now born, and she's doing beautiful. Wow. Hey, let me ask this. I, I think we're closing up. We, yeah. we, we, but I, I want to just, I think it's important, man, because your ministry, as we talked beforehand, um, is vital, vital. Um, I just want to ask, I want your clarification, just because so many people, If and I don't know, I can't, say what people listening are going to think but i know traditionally when people hear someone's at the abortion mill the vision that comes to their mind because of what's portrayed on the media is the guy with the megaphone standing on the thing with the signs that that say um babies are murdered here well not only that but you're a murderer yeah well, well not only that but they're shouting things um street corner preachers right that that are not doing it in a way that I think glorifies God, what's the difference between them and you? Because you're still saying things that are true. You're still saying the things, basically, like I said earlier, you could say whatever you want, but what's the difference between the guy that is ingrained in their memory that maybe they see on campuses that, that aren't doing it in a way that's to bring God glory but to love people? What's what's the difference? Well, I'm not, am I protesting? I'm against abortion, but it's it's bigger than that. I want to see people come to know Jesus. When I talk to the Mormon Jehovah Witness, the many Muslims that I engage on Welshwood, uh, it's not to win an argument. It's to see them come and realize uh, the love of Jesus. Uh, And so I, you know, like I said earlier, I look at the plank in my eye first. Yeah. And then um, before I talk about the speck in their eye, and I deal with that. And so I go, as the Beatitudes say, uh, poor in spirit. I go mourning not only my own sin, but the sin of our culture. Man, that's I, good. I go in meekness, knowing that I don't have the authority, but that God has the authority. I go with the love of righteousness, and, and, and it all comes down to it. Then he says, now go be a peacemaker. And so when you bring all that together and you're down there and you're asking the Holy Spirit to give you the right words in this situation, uh, you're walking in the Spirit. You're not walking in the flesh. It is possible to walk in the flesh down there and be completely just bad and Mm -hmm. and be ineffective. But when you're walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the love, knowing that your life is on the line, that my life will be threatened, that guns will be pulled, mace will be pulled, tasers will be pulled, cars will be used against us, uh, people will throw punches at us, but we have no intention of retaliation, but just to rescue a baby and to see somebody come and know Jesus. Uh, people see that. Yeah. People see that. And so uh, it's bigger than 
just abortion. It, it, we want people to feel the love of Christ. I realize that, and you guys realize it, it's a dark world. And the church has done a terrible job of engaging our culture. And it's the reason our culture is in the state that it's in, because Christians aren't getting beyond the pew, and they're not getting beyond their gathering and engaging our culture. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing on Welshwood is we're hitting the culture right where they're at where it's literally the gates of hell it's the, the Welshwood is the darkest place I've ever stood ever seen um, it, it allows me to see darkness for what it is but it also allows me to see light encounter darkness and see darkness go away and see redemption happen right there in a given moment yeah Awesome. Well, Pastor Scott, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know thank that you. this is going to bless someone, our many someones. Um, man, I'm looking forward to um, uh, growing our relationship, following your ministry. Tell the people how they can follow your ministry if they don't already. Uh, we've got a nonprofit. It's called Operation Saving Life. And as a matter of fact, we had four college-age kids from LifePoint mm-hmm. came down with me yesterday and taught them how to do uh, street evangelism, engage people, taught them the language, the, what to do, not to do, how, what to see, what not to see. And so, man, I'm looking for more people to get involved uh, that want to share the gospel, but we also need people um, to walk with these women. So every week I go down, we basically get a save. And what I do is I get on the phone with other women and and, and men and say, hey, can you walk with this person and disciple them and love them? And uh, That's good. So... Uh, and then uh, Christ Life Community. That's that's the other way. Is that dot org or dot? Uh, it's ChristLifeSmyrna.com. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Till next time. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.